Welcome to Zoo Notable. We're enriching the mind with wisdom and stories so we can continue being the best versions of ourselves today, tomorrow, and forever. I'm PJ with ZooFit, and November is a bit of a crazy month. Many of us are gearing up for the holidays, which for most of us in the United States seems to officially start with Thanksgiving. And with Thanksgiving as our backdrop, many of us practice gratitude and being, well, you know, thankful. It's also Manatee Awareness Month, and it is National Novel Writing Month, also known in the writing communities as NaNoWriMo. Now, I am a writer myself, and while I did not practice writing a novel this month, I have been putting together my new book on ZooFit, which the working title itself is a work in progress. But I felt this would be the perfect opportunity to share one of the premier books on writing by a master of the craft, Stephen King. I haven't actually read much by Stephen King. Well, in fact, I've read exactly one book of his, his memoir titled On Writing. But it is this book that I really want to share with all of you today, regardless if you consider yourself a writer or not. While we celebrate NaNoWriMo, I celebrate all our creative endeavors and all of our fantastic dreams, whether that's writing, fitness, conservation, changing our lives, or changing the world. So let's delve into Stephen King's memoir on writing. I'm going to kick us off with a quote. I had been playing with the idea of writing a little book about writing for some time, but had held back because I didn't trust my own motivation. Why did I want to write about writing? What made me think I had anything worth saying? The easy answer is that someone who has sold as many books of fiction as I have must have something worthwhile to say about writing it. But the easy answer isn't always the truth. Colonel Sanders sold a hell of a lot of fried chicken, but I'm not sure anyone wants to know how he made it. Okay, so right out of the gate, this passage from the first forward had me laughing and it sucked me into whatever Stephen King is selling. I agree with him 100%. Just because someone has sold a lot of books doesn't mean they automatically know how to tell others about how to do it. But this self-deprecating humor is actually all for show, folks. Because Stephen King isn't just a prolific writer. He is one of the most famous writers alive. And while he may be known as the king of horror, Stephen King has published more than 50 novels. And all of them, and I mean all of them, have been bestsellers. So he might be onto something as far as his insight into writing or pursuing your dreams. He has been doing this for a long time and has some incredible lessons to share with all of us. His first lesson is big idea number one, build your toolbox to carry with you wherever you go. Quote, when the screen was secure, Uncle Oren gave me the screwdriver and told me to put it back in the toolbox and latch her up. I did, but I was puzzled. I asked him why he lugged the 80 to 100 pound toolbox all the way around the house if all he had needed was that one screwdriver. He could have carried a screwdriver in the back pocket of his khakis. Yeah, but Stevie, he said, bending to grasp the handles, I didn't know what else I might find to do once I got out here, did I? It's best to have your tools with you. If you don't, you're apt to find something you didn't expect and get discouraged. So we never know what we're going to find on our life's journey. It's best to have our tools with us. But what tools? Well, in this particular book about 
writing, Stephen King does spend some time focusing on writing tools. But even with some of these tools, I found we could garner a little bit of wisdom. For instance, Stephen warns us to avoid using the passive voice. Now, in grammar and writing, this refers to having the action bestowed upon the subject. For example, the elephant was reinforced by his trainer. It's not nearly as strong as the trainer reinforced the elephant. But this is a perfect analogy for life. Stop letting things happen to you and stop using the passive voice. If there's something you want in life, let's freaking do it. Let's take action. And Stephen shares tons of grammar lessons and even lessons of dialogue, theme, and symbolism throughout the book. And all of them are tools for becoming a stronger writer. And as we put these tools together, we get better and better. And he says, words create sentences. Sentences create paragraphs. Sometimes paragraphs quicken and begin to breathe. Imagine, if you will, Frankenstein's monster on its slab. Here comes the lightning. Not from the sky, but from a humble paragraph of English words. Maybe it's the first really good paragraph you've ever wrote. Something fragile and yet full of possibility that you are frightened. You feel as Victor Frankenstein must have when those dead conglomeration of sewn-together spare parts suddenly opened its watery yellow eyes. Oh my god, it's breathing, you realize. Maybe it's even thinking. What in hell's name do I do next? (laughs) Well, you you keep writing. (laughs) You reach into your toolbox and gather your next important tool. Perhaps it's working on plot or revision. Now, I feel writing is still quite the metaphor for life. If you've ever thought, what in hell's name do I do next? You understand what Stephen King is talking about. We need a toolbox to help us out with every step along our journey. As Stephen says, It behooves you to construct your own toolbox and then build up enough muscle so you can carry it with you. Then, instead of looking at a hard job and getting discouraged, you will perhaps seize the correct tool and immediately get to work. Most of Stephen's other life lessons are great tools for us to put in our toolbox, which makes up for the bulk of our other big ideas, namely big idea number two. Working for your muse, not having your muse work for you. Quote, if you don't want to work your ass off, you have no business trying to write well. There is a muse, but he's not going to come fluttering down into your writing room and scatter creative fairy dust all over your typewriter or computer. He lives in the ground. He's a basement guy. You have to descend to his level, and once you get down there, you have to furnish an apartment for him to live in. You have to do all the grunt labor, in other words, while the muse sits and smokes cigars and admires his bowling trophies and pretends to ignore you. Do you think this is fair? I think it's fair. He may not be much to look at, that muse guy, and he may not be much of a conversationalist. What I get out of mind is mostly surly grunts unless he's on duty. But he's got the inspiration. It's right that you should do all the work and burn the midnight oil, because the guy with the cigar and the little wings has a bag of magic. And there's stuff in there that can change your life. So honestly, I could just leave it at this and we could just move on to big idea number three. But let's unpack this just a little bit more. Because again, while Stephen King's mastery may be in writing, this idea is not just about authors or even creative artists. There is a job muse. There's a fitness muse. And I actually believe there might even be a conservation muse. There are 
all kinds of muses out there. But the thing is, they're all like Stephen King's muse. They aren't going to wave their magic wand just because you wish for your dreams and make them all come true. You're going to have to work for it. But Stephen does help show how we can get our muse to show up more consistently. He speaks of creating a physical space for writers to perform their work, preferably a space that has a door that we can shut. And he tells us to create a routine where we go to our space every day and write. As he says, as with physical exercise habit, it would be best to set a low daily writing goal at first to avoid discouragement. Resolve to yourself that you stay in your creative space with the door closed until that goal is met. Get busy putting those words on paper. The door closes the rest of the world out. It also serves to close you in and keep you focused on the job at hand. You need a room, you need the door, and you need the determination to shut that door. You need a concrete goal as well. The longer you keep to these basics, the easier the act of writing will become. Do not wait for the muse. As I've said, he's a hard-headed guy who's not susceptible to a lot of creative fluttering. This isn't the Ouija board or the spirit world we're talking about here. Just another job like laying pipe or driving long-haul trucks. Your job is to make sure the muse knows where you're going to be every day from 9 till noon or 7 to 3. If he does know, I assure you that sooner or later, he'll start showing up, chomping his cigar, and making his magic. I love this so much. If you show up regularly to work on your big audacious dream and goal, I promise you, your muse will begin to show up. But until our muse knows that we mean business, until our muse knows that we're dedicated, they're going to remain the basement dwelling blob. But if we work for it, our muse will come. Before we continue with our Zoo Notable, I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors. I couldn't do these notables without them. So we'll be right back after these messages. ZooFit is a self-funded program helping others achieve success through positive training methods. But we can't do it alone. I need you, yes, you listening to us right now, to help spread the word and spread the joy of positive fitness for your body, mind, and soul. And joining Patreon is an easy and affordable way to connect with me on ZooFit, support my current and future projects, and let ZooFit shine as we change people's lives so we can change the world. Join the ZooFit charm of hummingbirds for bonus big ideas, or join the ZooFit pride to earn more wisdom and bonus materials, including sneak peeks at my new books. The link for Patreon is in the description down below. Thank you for your support. Now let's get back to our Zoo Notable. Another great tool and life lesson is big idea number three. Write with the door closed for yourself, then rewrite it with the door open. John Gould was the editor of the Lisbon Weekly Newspaper, one of Stephen King's first jobs, and he taught Steve a few great gems about writing. This is from Stephen King's book, quote, 
When you write a story, you're telling yourself the story. When you rewrite, your main job is to take out all the things that are not the story. And John Gould said that something else that was very interesting on the day I turned in my first two pieces. Write with the door closed. Rewrite with the door open. Your stuff starts out being just for you, in other words, but then it goes out. And once you know what the story is and you get it right, as right as you can anyways, it belongs to anyone who wants to read it or criticize it. And if you're lucky, more will want to do the former than the latter. Now, Stephen's lesson here helps me with the imposter syndrome and just one of my biggest challenges of all time, being a people pleaser. And you can learn more about the seven fear archetypes in my Zoonotable on Ruth Sukup's book, Do It Scared. Now, in my endeavor, I often worry about what people will think of me, what I'm, what I'm working on, and I let their advice, their feedback, and criticism crowd out my story that I want to tell. And one of my latest critiques dealt with this exactly. I was writing about how animal trainers hold their animals to very strict criteria, meaning they have certain expectations that the animals must meet in order to earn their reward. And on other previous critiques, I had been told readers wanted to learn more about me, where I was, and where I was in this journey. So instead of writing just what felt right to me, or just getting the story down, I wrote how I thought my readers wanted me to tell the lesson. And it didn't go over that well. My, fa- my chapter felt lost and unfocused. And it was because I, was, I wrote that first draft with the door open. I didn't write my story. Now, yeah, this is a literal example of Stephen's advice, but I think it can actually be applied to other aspects in life as well. We may not always get a practice session in life, but I feel if we constantly are doing what we think others want from us, we don't get to shine through as our best selves. We are a false version of ourselves. And Stephen King continues with his advice with writing a first draft by saying, Let me urge you to take your story through at least two drafts, the one you do with the door closed and the one you do with it open. With the door shut, downloading what's in my head directly to the page, I write as fast as I can and still remain comfortable. Writing can be a difficult, lonely job. It's like crossing the Atlantic Ocean in a bathtub. There's plenty of opportunity for self-doubt. If I write rapidly, putting down my story exactly as it comes into my mind, I find that I can keep up with my original enthusiasm and at the same time outrun the self-doubt that's always waiting to settle in. Here's something else. If no one says to you, oh, PJ, this is wonderful, you're, you are a lot less apt to slack off and start concentrating on the wrong thing, on being wonderful, for instance, instead of just telling the goddamn story. <laughs> Yeah, Stephen King curses a lot. (laughs) But just stop focusing on being wonderful or, again, what others are thinking of you and your life's work. Just tell your story. Just be the best that you can. Write with the door closed. And then once you're ready, you can then share it with the world. And this does lend itself to big idea number four. Having a support system is crucial to success. Quote, My wife made a crucial difference during those two years I spent teaching at Hampton. If she had suggested that the time I spent writing stories on the front porch of our rented house or in the laundry room of our rented trailer was wasted time, I think a lot of the heart would have gone out of me. 
Tabby never voiced a single doubt, however. Her support was constant, one of the few good things I could, have, I could take as a given. And whenever I see a first novel dedicated to a wife or husband, I smile and think, there is someone who knows. Writing is a lonely job. Having someone who believes in you makes a lot of difference. Now, having someone who believes in you does indeed make a lot of difference, no matter what your quote-unquote lonely job may be. I do have to say, I feel any Stephen King fans out there owe a great deal of gratitude towards Tabitha King. Stephen shares how when he first came up with the story of Carrie, he didn't like those characters and he felt like he couldn't get anywhere with it, so he threw it away. Tabby, however, had spied, the crump- had spied the crumpled papers and for some reason smoothed them out and read them. And when Stephen got home, she urged her husband to stay with that story. You've got something here, she had said. I really think you do. So Carrie ended up becoming Stephen King's breakout novel, which propelled him to write Salem's Lot and, again, dozens of other bestsellers. So we have, again, that remarkable lady, Tabitha King, to thank. I also like to share that story, again, about Tabby King, about how fierce of a role model she is for just women in general. She went after a reporter who had simply referred to her as Stephen King's wife. Wife is not an identity, she had remarked. You may as well call me of Stephen, referring to the handmaid's tale names to demonstrate that women were property. Again, a great woman, a fireball, great inspiration. Tabitha is also Stephen King's ideal and first reader. She tells her best-selling husband exactly what she thinks of scenes and storylines, but helps him make the story stronger with her feedback. Again, I just love this woman. I think we all need a Tabitha King in our lives. Someone who will read our crumpled pages when we've given up and tell us to keep going. But also the same person who would tell us when we're boring them with too much backstory. Now, this challenger support system is vital for our success. So if you're struggling to find your Tabby King, feel free to connect with me and with ZooFit as our community challenges, supports, encourages, and empowers ZooFit Pride members to keep doing what they do so they can change their lives and change the world. And finally, we have big idea number five. Rejection isn't the end of the world. Quote, when I got the rejection slip, I pounded a nail into the wall and wrote happy stamps on the rejection slip and poked it onto the nail. Then I sat on my bed and listened to Fat sing, I'm ready. I felt pretty good, actually. When you're still too young to shave, optimism is a perfectly legitimate response to failure. By the time I was 14 and shaving twice a week, whether I needed to or not, the nail on my wall would no longer support the weight of the rejection slips impaled upon it. I replaced the nail with a spike and went on writing. By the time I was 16, I'd begun to get rejection slips with handwritten notes with more encouraging advice. This is good. Not for us, but good. You have talent. Submit again. Okay, so I'm just going to lay my cards on the table. Young Stephen King was wise beyond his years. I honestly, I don't even know if, if... old Stephen King truly realizes how incredibly insightful this practice was. Rather than get discouraged, Stephen King nailed his rejection slips on his wall. And then, folks, he got so many rejections, he had to replace the nail 
with a spike. And this is all before he graduated high school. This is so impactful. If you are struggling with your dream, take a page out of Stephen King's book. Be freaking proud of those rejections. First and foremost, it means that you're trying. Stephen Chandler, the author of Reinventing Yourself, tells us that yes lives in the land of no. Now, does rejection hurt? Yes. <laughs> I've been rejected in every field I've pursued. When I was pursuing my job as an animal trainer, I was rejected seven times before I offered an entry-level position. This wasn't me trying out for seven completely different positions. This was all for the same position that opened up seven times in two years. And even now, as a writer and entrepreneur, I'm experiencing a lot of rejection today. My book has been rejected by eight agents, but I'm using those rejections as fuel. I learned from each of these, just as Stephen King did. Quote, in the spring of my senior year at Lisbon High, I got a scribbled comment that changed the way I rewrote, rewrote my fiction once and forever. Jotted below the machine-generated signature of the editor was this moat. Not bad, but puffy. You need to revise for length. Formula, second draft equals first draft minus 10%. Good luck. I wish I could remember who wrote that note. Whoever, did, whoever it was did me a hell of a favor. I copied the formula onto a piece of shirt cardboard and taped it to the wall beside my typewriter. Good things started to happen for me shortly after. Again, this isn't just advice for writers, although thank you, Stephen. I'm going to remember this as I get to work editing next month. This is a testament of why saving his rejection letters and having the growth mindset works so well. Can you imagine if Stephen King threw his rejection letters away, not learning from them or growing from each personal note? So if Stephen King can do this, Stephen King, then I think we can too. And if taking rejection as an opportunity to learn a little bit more can create someone as prolific, successful, and well-loved as Stephen King, well then, I think there's, there's another reason to embrace failure and keep on trying. So those are my thoughts on Stephen King's on writing. I'd love to know your thoughts as well. And keep on striving to shine bright, doing what we can to make our lives better today so we can have a brighter future tomorrow and forever. Let's close things off with a few quotes from Stephen King. Stephen shares a story about his babysitter, whose name, their name was changed, and how she prepared him for life in general. Eula Bula was prone to farts, the kind that are both loud and smelly. Sometimes when she was so afflicted, she would throw me on the couch, drop her wool-skirted butt on my face, and let loose. I remember the dark, the sense I was suffocating, and I remember laughing. Because while what was happening was sort of horrible, it was also sort of funny. In many ways, Eula Beulah prepared me for literary criticism. After having a 200-pound babysitter fart on your face and yell, pow, the village voice holds few terrors. Stephen tells us the job of writing starts with this. Put your desk in the corner. And every time you sit down there to write, remind yourself of why it isn't in the middle of the room. Life isn't a support system for art. It's the other way around. He also says, if you want to be a writer, you must do two things above all others. Read a lot and write a lot. Again, think about that. If you want to be a writer, you have to read a lot and write a lot. So what do you want to do? 
do a lot of that and get better at it. Stephen talks about a horrible accident that he was in where he literally almost died. And he says, after, after this, writing did not save my life. Dr. David Brown's skills and my wife's love and care did that. But it has continued to do what it has always done for me. Makes my life a brighter and more pleasant place. And then Stephen closes up the book with this remarkable quote. Writing isn't about making money, getting famous, getting dates, getting laid, or making friends. In the end, it's about enriching the lives of those who will read your work and enriching your own life as well. It's about getting up, getting well, and getting over. Getting happy, okay? Getting happy. Some of this book, perhaps too much, has been about how I learned to do it. Much of it has been about how you can do it better. The rest of it, and perhaps the best of it, is a permission slip. You can, you should, and if you're brave enough to start, you will. Writing is magic, as much the water of life as any other creative art. The water is free, so drink. Drink and be filled up. that's all I've got for this wonderful book. Let me know your thoughts. What big idea resonated with you the most? And how can you incorporate that into your life starting today? And share some of your favorite books that you love to see a Zoo Notable on. A gigantic thank you to my patrons, Rochelle, Laura, Sarah, Liz, and Stephanie. Keep working on becoming the best version of yourself today, tomorrow, and forever. For you, your community, the animals, and the planet. Take care and I will see you all next time.